Welcome to Kitchen Table Conversations, a series of short and shareable conversation starters for those of us who have or love and support people with a complicated and beautiful brain. Here's your host, Angela Geddes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Kitchen Table Conversations. I'm just once again so happy that you've decided to spend some time with us today. So today's topic is going to focus on mental health awareness as October 10th, 2022 was the Global Mental Health Awareness Day as proclaimed by the World Health Organization. And it also coincidentally happened to fall on our Canadian Thanksgiving Day. So I'd like to just take a moment to acknowledge that holidays such as Thanksgiving Day can be particularly difficult for people experiencing mental health issues of all kinds. Holidays and the expectations around them can be really stress-inducing for many of us, with so much emphasis on family and feasts and get-togethers with everybody smiling with lovely sunny days and pumpkin patches. There seems to be an expectation for all of us to be celebrating and to be so thankful. And this can be difficult. And obviously, this can be especially difficult for people who are experiencing situational or long-term stressors, income and food instability, family disruption or breakdown, or even a death or some other form of really significant loss. It also needs to be acknowledged that different cultures see this holiday very differently, and the origin of it and some of the imposed traditions, while seemingly dismissing others, can be difficult for some. I think that it's important to be mindful of that and to spend time checking in with others and asking questions so that we can be open to the needs of others while honoring our own and our own traditions. In terms of mental health and wellness, I feel it's always beneficial to ask questions and to challenge some of the rules that we have in our minds about how things are supposed to be, and especially when the context of our lives have changed. Many of us get stuck in the feeling that things have to continue as they were, even if the situations have clearly changed. For example, if you have children with special mental health and developmental needs, The context of your family has changed. It's different, possibly, or potentially than the one that you grew up in where some of those rules were initially formed. So why do we all have to attend a family meal where we know that the child or the children will be overstimulating and this is going to end up badly? It often ends badly for both the individual with the complex needs and for everyone around. So why do we keep doing that? Sometimes it's healthy to take a pause and reflect and to ask ourselves if the rules that we have created still make sense for us. And this can take such a weight off of our shoulders sometimes. I see this in my practice all the time, especially with parents of kids with really complex needs. There is such a strong desire to be quote unquote good parents and family members and to ensure that the kids are included in all the family functions and that they take place regularly. But oftentimes we place expectations on people that are just simply out of reach. Some people do not do well in large crowds, in large groups, or at noisy kitchen tables. So why do we force it with the expectation that they need to adjust and learn how to manage their emotions or behavior in large groups? If these kids were neurotypical, they would manage their behavior in these settings. But for some or a number of reasons, this is clearly and simply not possible right now. So why not let some of these hard and fast rules go? And let's see what this does for our own mental health and wellness, and for the people around us. What would be wrong with planning a quiet day with another 
friend or family member that allows for one-to-one time for this individual with special needs, while the rest of the family joins the larger family gathering. A lot of times, guilt and shame guide those decisions rather than what would logically make more sense for all. We need to remember that the rules need to change when the context changes, and you have a right to make decisions that would work best for you and your family. I feel that the fall of the year is a really good time to literally witness and to acknowledge the benefit of change as the season changes. The beauty of the color changes and the natural need to let go of this beauty as the leaves fall gently to the ground. Um, There is a need to prepare for new growth and new opportunities year after year. I love that analogy personally and uh, think about the importance of those trees that no longer have those beautiful leaves on them. So in terms of mental health awareness, I'd like to acknowledge all the extra efforts that take place around Global Mental Health Day and also Mental Health Week that happens later in the spring of the year and some of the initiatives, for example, like Bell Let's Talk. And despite some of the possible ulterior motives around Bell Let's Talk for for specifically, um, the conversations and focus around mental health and wellness really does help to reduce some of the stigma and to normalize the need for good mental health care. But let's keep the conversations going around prevalence rates and the overlapping characteristics. In Canada, for example, according to the Centre of Addictions and Mental Health, in any given year, one in five of us experience a mental illness. By the time Canadians reach 40 years of age, one in two have had or have a mental illness. And young people between the ages of 15 and 24 are more likely to experience mental health issues than any other group. And 39% of students indicate a moderate to serious level of distress. That would be anxiety or depression as well. And 17% consider themselves to have a serious level of distress. Mental and physical health are also really linked. Physical pain is more likely to be coupled with mental illness, and people with mood disorders are more likely to have additional physical ailments as well. People with mental health are twice as likely to have substance use disorder. I personally have never met a person in my practice that has a substance use disorder that doesn't also have a mental health condition that they are trying to self-medicate and put and gain some control over. I also see many people in my professional and personal circle who normalize unusual behaviors and moods or perceptions and who do not think about seeking help from a professional to manage symptoms of anxiety or depression over or under eating, over or underworking, or obsessive compulsive disorder, for example. So many struggle in silence, or if they do go to see their doctor, they are offered a prescription and often choose this method of treatment alone. In my experience, medication alone rarely works. Time is often better spent challenging patterns of coping and making some perspective and behavioral shifts, often with the guidance of a qualified counselor who can help people live their best lives. As a helper, I feel like it's particularly sad when people deny themselves this really cool opportunity to improve their outcomes really much more quickly. Also, I think in terms of of mental wellness and taking good care, it does involve a little bit of self-care. It does involve um, having some mindful moments, for example, and just pausing. And maybe that's just having a cup of tea or going for a, a walk in solitude. And that can also incorporate the need and 
the evidence-based research that tells us that physical exercise is really, really good for us and good for our mental health. In fact, moderate amounts of where we get our heart rate up three times a week has been found to be as helpful as medication um, to combat mild to moderate depression or anxiety. And spending time in nature is also proven to be very good for our mental health and wellness. And healthy eating and good sleep hygiene can also really contribute to our overall well-being. And also, I think it's really important to to be okay with reaching out to people we care about or people who we trust and asking for some help or just asking questions around how they're feeling. Social prescribing has been researched lately and is a more recent movement to address some of the diverse determinants of health. And it focuses on bridging clinical and community or social Um, services in care for people by referring to sort of a non-clinical services based on the person's interests, goals, and special gifts. Community-based programs and services are there to help people feel connected and uh, really do uh, tremendous amounts towards mental wellness and overall well-being by removing barriers that can sometimes leave people feeling isolated and that they don't belong. We know that isolation alone can be very, very hard on us. In fact, as hard on our heart Um, as cigarette smoking. So there oftentimes really is a benefit to looking around your community and seeing what kinds of things are taking place and really doing more intentional work towards building our social circle. So we know that mental health affects one in five of us and fetal alcohol spectrum disorder affects one in 25. And we also know, according to the statistics, that 90% of all people with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder also have a mental health condition. And this is another example. In my practice, I've never met anyone with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder that doesn't also have some difficulties with mood and affect regulation. Our mental health services must have a better understanding of the implications of prenatal alcohol exposure because the bottom line is our mental health service delivery system has many people looking for relevant supports and services, but they're not receiving it because our services are not necessarily inclusive of people with really complicated developmental disorders. And it is really complicated, and there are many overlapping characteristics that are found in mental health conditions, as well as fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So again, in my practice, I often see people with multiple diagnoses by the time they're 12 or 14 or 16 years old. Sometimes they've got six diagnoses already, so imagine how confusing that can be. So most people with FASD also have concentration difficulties, but do we assume that to be attention deficit hyperactivity disorder? Also, most people with FASD have sensory processing difficulties. Now, is that also autism spectrum disorder? People with FASD often interrupt and have social difficulties, but is that also autism spectrum disorder? Or is it just the assumption that we've got some poor parenting going on? There's also exceptional abilities with people who have FASD, but there are also with autism spectrum disorder. And people with FASD often lose their temper. Or is this trauma? Or again, poor parenting. And the mood swings? Is that a mental health disorder? Is that trauma? Or again, is that people not being taught how to regulate their emotions? And then there's lying about the obvious. Is this bipolar? Emotional dismaturity. Could this also be autism spectrum disorder? Because this is very common with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And again, learning lags. Is this due to trauma or is this due to poverty? 
or is this due to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? And an escalation in response to stress. So again, that affect dysregulation, or could this be depression? So again, it's really complicated, and this is why it's so important to find a therapist or a helper who is aware of complex neurodevelopmental disorders, autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, FASD, the effects of complex trauma, and these helpers need to be directly involved in the assessment and the care plans so that people can receive the kinds of supports and services that are going to lead to the outcomes that we're all hoping for. Labels are not necessarily or nearly as important as understanding the combination of symptoms and addressing the origin and the implications on people's day-to-day experiences. So hopefully there's been some time in the month of October reflecting um, and recognizing that there are some things that we all have to be grateful for. With many thanks, Angela. Angela.